Again, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Joel Wald from McAlinden Associates. Joel, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. Pleased to be here. Glad to have you. Um, today we're continuing in our series talking about how do you improve communications. We all know to lead effectively, communication is one of the cornerstones that you have to get right. And Joel, one of the reasons I so wanted to have you on a guest is that what you and what McLean and Associates do in terms of training leaders to communicate is best in class. So I'm really glad to have you with us. Well, th- thank you for that introduction. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been around for over 40 years uh, working with leaders in whether they're professionals or executives to be able to tell their story in a way that resonates with, with their listeners. And, and that can be in the roles that they're currently facing or might be facing or in preparing them for high-stakes events. Okay, fabulous. I'm going to come back to that phrase about tell their story. Um, let me mm-hmm. talk, though, first about, you know, you've trained and coached many, many, many people, some of whom I've known as well, to be more effective in their communication. One of the things people always ask me is, can people really change? Can they get better? Well, yes, they can. Uh, as you mentioned, I've seen it uh hundreds if not thousands of times, and thank goodness, because it keeps me employed. Uh, so, uh, you know, first, you, you do need to accept that every person will start at a different point and will change on their own trajectory. Uh, the, you know, the height to which they go and the speed with which they get there will certainly vary. Um, but, uh, I, again, I'm presuming your listeners are particularly interested in where there's some kind of transformational change. <laughs> Always, but we want a realistic transformational change. Let me start with an example, and then I'd love to hear your parallel. There's a senior leader, in fact, a CEO that I worked with on one particular occasion who was, I don't think naturally, the most gifted public speaker. But I have to tell you, he had become, by the time I was working with him, one of the best people I've ever seen in front of an audience. He just had them in the palm of his hand, and it didn't matter if it was 50 or 500. I had seen both, but I also know it took a ton out of him. So do you have similar stories, and can you tell us what happened? How do you get there? Sure. Um, Well, let let me give you one example, Um, and it's really the story of an extremely successful hospital leader. Uh, I'll call him Tim. Uh, He was the head of medical affairs for a leading hospital. And he's just really a great example of how an accomplished person can literally make changes that affect the people around him as well as his organization. Uh, first of all, he, he was one of the smartest people I've ever met. He was an MD. He was a PhD. He was an MBA. You know, so the intellectual piece uh, was unquestioned. A lot of it was really around the, the emotional side. Uh, he came to us extremely frustrated. Uh, he felt at, at the hospital he was currently at, that the motivation for change had withered, 
that the leadership team was dysfunctional. Uh, there was tremendous churn as people pushed for change and they came up against brick walls. So Tim was desperate for help in thinking differently about how he could motivate his colleagues to think and act differently. Uh, so we helped him realize that he came across as it's all about me. He saw that he wasn't listening and was therefore coming across as telling others how they should lead. And once he began to put his listeners' needs at the heart of his interactions, he transformed. Uh, some of the things he took away were that in all his interactions, going back to your point of whether it was one-to-one -one with his boss, uh, the, you know, the C COO, the CEO, or whether it was uh, presenting to a large, large group, he needed to, one, first communicate more of the why. Why is it important? Why is it urgent? Um, he needed to be more collaborative, less directive. He realized that he could structure his message to create a much less threatening challenge. He replaced I with we. Uh, and then he really began to take to heart listening and drawing out other people's points of view. Uh, so he told us as a result that um, he was able to generate more productive discussions with his colleagues and meetings were less toxic. At the same time, he did come to the conclusion he needed to be in a different environment. So he moved on to become CEO of a leading global hospital. And in a follow-up session where we were helping him prepare for his new role, uh, he crafted the messages that he wanted to get across to his new organization. And in conversations following that, he told us that in his first two weeks as CEO, he had 60 visits to different departments, informal meetings with staff, his first meeting with his direct reports on the leadership team, and his first board meeting. And the feedback he got was how consistent and resonant his message was how genuine he came across, and how well he understood the issues. Fascinating, Joel. Let's. Go, I want to go backwards for a couple of these points. And I, I mean, so what a great story, a transformation. But let's go back to that. The phrase you said at the beginning is that people said it sounded like it was all about me. I hear that mm -hmm. from people that I coach all the time. They've gotten that feedback that somehow people around them think that they're self-serving or it's all about you. And they come to me rather baffled with, that's not how I feel. I couldn't feel more collaborative, so what's going wrong? So, Tim, did he think he was being collaborative? Um, I... He, yes, he did at times, but I think he realized there was something wrong. You're right. He tended to put it more on his colleagues and their shutting things down rather than necessarily seeing that it was all coming from him. Uh, I think the big turning point was realizing, you know, when we would have him talk through of his um, meetings and put it on video, and he sat back and listened to it. He said, God, I keep saying I, I want, I want. And he never used the word we. And that began to be the turning point. Okay. All right, so I like this notion. We have it on video. You get to see it for yourself. You're reviewing it with a professional who's kind of giving you coaching. And isn't it fascinating that the way you deliver the message, the word you use, plus presumably the intonation and so forth, completely alters people's perception 
of the message you're trying to convey. Absolutely. Fairly or unfairly, but that's the perception. That's the reality. Uh, yeah, and the more and more I do this work, the more and more I am convinced that all of these subtle things that we don't pay any attention to at all really are delivering the message more than anything else. So replacing I with we. Okay, any other things that you did with him from a delivery point of view that helped him be more consistent and resonant? Sure. So from a delivery, I presume you mean like his his body language, his Style, any portion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, it was interesting. Part of it was in his delivery, and and then I'll come back to one other point. Uh, Yeah, he just needed, he was, uh, as I said, just, I mean, such an intellect that his affect tended to be uh, on the monotonous side. So he had no, um, the enthusiasm, the passion he felt for things, wasn't coming through. It was all very matter-of-fact and cut and dried. So when he learned he could, you know, to borrow a phrase, get outside his comfort zone and, uh, and use more of what was inside him in terms of how expressive he could be, that really transformed the way the message was received. Um, so, the other part uh, of it... Which, so, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Don't lose your thought, though. I was just going to say, Joel, I can't tell you how many times I say, and I personally believe, that if you aren't showing some sense of emotion, you are not going to connect with people. And you said it just there. There's no emotion. There's no passion. There's no um, enthusiasm. It's all monotonous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's interesting uh, that the, I mean, the model that we uh, use, very simple at, at the core of a lot of work, is that people want to be engaged on different levels, and it depends clearly on the individual, but they want to be engaged intellectually. Is there a clear story? Is it well-structured? Can they follow it? Is it resonating with them emotionally? Is it hitting the things that they um, care about? And then finally, is it being brought forward through the physical delivery uh, to actually make that connection? So the intellectual the emotional and the physical are the way human beings tend to listen, and therefore you need to think about how you communicate. Interesting. Now, you said there was a second thing about his, and I want to make sure I get that before we get too far off track. Sure. It was not so much about uh, delivery. It was about listening. It was about actually doing things like taking the time to stop and find out what was on people's minds through things like just asking the open-ended question. Uh, you know, how does this uh, connect with, with you? What are some of your thoughts? Uh, it, that made a huge difference. It's incredible. So we have a significant transformation, not within the same company, but moving companies of Tim starting with putting himself on videotape and realizing that everything he's saying is I, 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 and changing that to we, trying to convey, therefore, through that, that he wants to be more collaborative, less threatening, um, and getting people to get motivated about change. So we have changing the language, changing the story itself, the way it's structured. We have delivering the emotional um, tone that's appropriate here, particularly passion and commitment, and then we have stopping to listen. Yes, good summary. 
four fabulous summaries. Okay, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes. But before we go there, I have to ask the question. Many of my coaching colleagues will say that a deep introvert is never going to um, be a particularly effective communicator or leader. What's your view? Well, my experience is that introverts can learn to be good communicators. Having said that, not every introvert will actually succeed at that, nor will it necessarily be an easy journey for them. Um, You know, introverts, as, as you know as well as I, get their energy from thinking and working on their own, and extroverts get it from other people. So introverts truly do have to get outside their comfort zone if they are going to communicate uh, to well, more than one person or to them themselves. Um, I mean, I can tell you a story if we have time before uh, the uh, the break, or we can come back to it. Okay, well, let's um, take a break then. At that point, it's a perfect segue. And when we start back, I want to hear the story about an introvert becoming more effective as a communicator. I also have to tease the question, do extroverts sometimes get themselves in trouble? But we'll do that when we come back. With me today is Joel Wald from McAlinden Associates, and we're talking about how do you go about improving your communication in real tactical day-to-day ways. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Joel Wald from McAlinden Associates. Um, Joel is one of my all-time favorite world-class communication coaches, so I'm really thrilled to have him on the show 
just before the break, we were talking about the case of Tim and Tim going from being ineffective as a communicator to being a quite connected and consistent resonant communicator. Four things that were critical for his change. One was to change his language from I to we, and he saw that from a video, watching himself on video. Two is structuring his story in a more consistent, coherent way. Three is showing the emotion, the passion, and the enthusiasm he felt. And four is the physical component of stopping periodically to listen. Now, just as we're going on break, I ask you, Joel, about introverts versus extroverts. And a reminder that introverts get their energy from thinking, pulling inside, and extroverts get their energy from talking to other people. And I ask you the question of can introverts become more effective communicators because it requires a putting out of a lot of energy to people. You said yes, but you left us with you have one example. So I've got to hear the example. Okay, so um, I'll tell you the story of Brian. I know it sounds like a Monty Python movie, but uh, it's appropriate because it did take place in the UK uh, where we had a a very large client that was in the brewing industry. And uh, Brian was a a seller service manager, which meant that uh, he was the guy who would go in and make sure that the beer that was delivered in uh, from the kegs actually was what came out the taps uh, to the the customer. And he liked the work because uh, he could work on on that pub's delivery system without interaction uh, and almost never interacting with more than one or two people. But at the same time, he did recognize that if he wanted to advance his career, he did need to become much more comfortable at interacting with and influencing other people. So we were doing a whole series of programs with with this client. He came through a participant. Um, And in working with him, I saw that he was shy to the point of being an an introvert. And uh, through, through the program, which was, you know, a couple of days, he certainly gained confidence in his ability to get up in in front of people by seeing that he was certainly better than he felt inside. But he never really believed he could be a great presenter. Um, Now, with his company, we had actually licensed them to deliver um, a number of our programs, and we were looking for people who would have credibility with uh, people in the business as, as, as their leaders in, in, a, in a program. So in other words, not necessarily just people coming out of a learning and development and training role, but people who really knew the business. We saw Brian's potential, um, but for him, still at that point, the idea of getting in front of a group and teaching them how to be good presenters and communicators was almost unimaginable. We convinced him he should go through the training to see if he could indeed make it as a coach in our program, and Brian took on the challenge. Uh, I'm happy to say he actually went on to become one of our best coaches. So somebody who went from not sure I could even get up in front of people to actually teaching people how, how to be good presenters. And the nice thing was he was neverly, never going to be an overly expressive person. He didn't need to be because it would not have been authentic. What he was able to do was win people over with his quiet credibility. And whenever he got in front of the room, that's what would engage people. Wow. Quiet credibility. How do you do that? (laughs) 
Well, uh, it's again, it's partly it comes from the confidence in yourself that what you are delivering is going to be valuable to the people in front of you, that you have their their interest at heart. I think, and that's that was the, again the big transformational shift he had to make is getting out of himself and into what he really had to offer to other people, and then being comfortable in your own skin. You know, it's a cliche, but. Uh, that's really what he did. He didn't feel he had to, uh, as we say, become an American. Uh, he could, in his own um, quiet delivery, uh, really engage people. I can imagine that that would be incredibly inspiring, particularly to other introverts or people who are a little more shy in front of an audience. Just his mm. experience would be powerful. I'm presuming also, Joel, that a lot of it was him, Brian, watching himself on videotape and gaining confidence by seeing what he was doing and how it was working. That was certainly a key component of it. it both seeing himself on video, it's the feedback that he was able to uh, take on board, whether it was from the video, from the coaches, you know, at McAlinden, but, but equally, if not more importantly, from his colleagues, people in the business who might or might not have known him personally, but could certainly relate to what would be effective in the business and how he, he could come across in aging people. That's great. All right, so if Brian can do it, anybody can do it. I love that story. All right, I want to come back to the very beginning when you started in the last segment. You said that part of what you do is help people to tell their story. I often hear this when we're talking about messages that we need to tell it as a story. So I want to start with this very simple question. What does it take to make a really good message? Is it a story? How do you structure a really good message? Okay, well, if we're talking about, uh, it's interesting because we'll often say in, in putting together your business communication, what's your story? And what we're talking about is the overall arc of the communication, whether it's a presentation, whether it's uh, a report or an email, it could be in any, any form. Uh, so, I mean, if, the most important thing we find is to get people to step back from all the detail and figure out what is their overall message. What are they actually trying to say? You know, if the way, the way I like to think of it is if one of your key stakeholders were to walk out the room and somebody were to uh, encounter them in the corridor and say, what is it that Wanda said? What, what, what message did you take away? Essentially in a sentence, they could lay that back, not word for word, but certainly get the essence of it. So where do you start, right? <laughs> How do you create a message? Uh, I'd say that there are two fundamental important uh, first steps. First, start with your audience. What do they care about? What are they worried about? Um, you know, what's their perspective on it? And if you can put that at the forefront of your mind, you're going then to begin to get a message that ultimately will resonate. Because a message needs to both uh, resonate with people immediately, but then stick with them over time. And it's only going to do that if it's connected to the things that they care about. Um, you know, for example, they may be facing change that could impact them personally. Uh, and I thought your guest last week, Tyler Durham, did a terrific job of talking about 
that and putting it in that emotional context. The second piece in crafting a good message is to decide what you want to achieve. You know, what are your objectives for this communication? What do you, what's the takeaway that's going to be your measure of success? And then how does this link to the longer term objective? impression you want to build or the actions that you want to seed over time. And then the message comes out of that and we can talk uh, about the components of a good message. It's interesting. I often believe as I work with people about communicating around change, uh, whatever format that comes up in the classes that I'm teaching and so forth, that people often want in a single communication to have solved the entire problem that will have been building for the last six years. And it's just such an unrealistic expectation from one Mm -hmm. conversation or one town hall. And so you're saying the same thing. What's the thing I want Mm -hmm. to achieve at this moment? And how is that connected to the long term? Okay? Exactly. You um, use this phrase, the message needs to resonate immediately and it needs to stick over time. What helps messages stick over time? Well, the messages that stick over time have connected with people uh, intellectually. So the idea is one that they can grab a hold of and make sense logically. But as in, in, in many cases, more importantly, it, it's connected to them emotionally. It's dealing with some frustration they have on, on the negative side, as an example, or on the positive side, that they're excited about achieving a goal and you've delivered them something which will help them to get there. Okay, so here we are right back again with that emotional theme. Mm. Um, that without the emotion, there isn't the connection is where you start. Are there other components that we should consider in structuring our message? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I'd say that and this can be a real challenge for people, is to try to boil it down to one sentence. Um, you know, I know in a lot of your programs you're, you're uh, talking about message uh, strategy. And um, I, I just love this thought, and, and I think it'll, it'll be a great uh, uh, platform. The, there was a fellow named Ken Omai who uh, had been a senior partner at McKinsey, he, he co-founded their strategic management practice. And he said something which really resonated with me. He said, the inability to articulate a strategy in a single, incisive, natural-sounding sentence is a sure sign that there's something wrong in the strategy itself, which is actually quite profound when you think that a strategy statement is a company's message to all of its stakeholders and especially its, its uh, employees. And if you just replace the word strategy with message, it's, it's really close to my heart. So the inability to articulate a message in a single, incisive, natural-sounding sentence is a sure sign that there's something wrong in the message itself. Great. So... If I can't say what's my core message for the today, then I don't, I've not thought whole enough about what my message really is. Is that the takeaway? Mm-hmm. 
I love that. Incisive, natural-sounding sentence, not one with 75 phrases thrown in there as well. All right, so Joel, you know, I often hear cited um, in the popular press that you want to, people remember one out of eight things that are said and that you have to repeat yourself. Do you find that that's true too? Even with these natural-sounding sentences, is repetition as important? Uh, yes, repetition is important, and some people think of it as, oh, well, I don't want to repeat myself, and I like to think of it as reinforcing the message, not as rote repetition. Um, okay. And it's interesting in terms of how many things people can observe and remember. Uh, I've heard that same number, eight. I've heard seven. Uh, we, in our work, really try to get people to focus on three to five ideas in support of that overall message. All right, so I get a sense now, I'm starting, I'm getting a real sense of what a structure looks like for a really great communication. I have in a single, one, normal, human, incisive, natural-sounding sentence, what's my core message? If I can't say that, then no one else is going to remember at any rate. And then after that, I have three to five ideas that are in support of that core message. And then in Mm -hmm. addition to that, I have an emotional connection, something I emotionally care about and an understanding of where my audience is emotionally and can connect to them. And then I'm back to the last point you made in the first segment, which is this notion to stop and listen. Yeah, absolutely. So that will do it then. If we can all practice that, we've got it named. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's simple but not easy. Absolutely. It, takes, it sounds like it takes an incredible amount of work to uh, boil this down to a straightforward communication. And I do agree with you that this notion of if people can't walk away from hearing from you in whatever format and simply synthesize what they heard, then it was a wasted conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Perfect timing at this point. Um, I really like this notion of a single natural sounding sentence that conveys the key message. When we come back, we're going to continue on this discussion about impactful com- uh, communications and talk about the power of stories as stories. So we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Joel Wald from McAlendon Associates, and we've been talking about how to become a fabulous communicator. So in this last segment, we were talking about, we started with the story of Brian, who became who went from being incredibly shy to being a trainer. And largely the key to his success there was in building his own confidence in himself and his ability to do it and recognize the value he had to offer to people. To do that, seeing himself on video and recognizing it's not all that bad, even if he feels awful, and two, getting feedback both from professionals and from colleagues about the value add and the ways to make that resonate more was the key to his success. In addition, we were talking about how to compel us Uh, create a compelling story or message, if you will. And the important point, my favorite phrase of all so far, is this notion that if you can't boil down to what you're trying to communicate in any single session to one simple sentence that's incisive and natural sounding, then it's a really good sign that you don't have a clear message. We'll back that up with three to five key points or key ideas to support the single message. But at the end of the day, we want people walking out of that conversation or meeting, understanding your core one-sentence idea. All right. So, Joel, in the last segment, you talked about um, there is the story, which is the structure of the message as a whole, which we just talked mm-hmm. through. But in addition to there is this notion of using stories to convey the message. Now, I personally believe, and I know I practice in my own profession, storytelling. If you have me come and give a talk, I'm going to do 80% stories and 20% connect the dots on what does that mean. So is this, uh, am I unique or is that a common tactic? Uh, I wish it were more common. Uh, to people, I mean, you, I think we all know this, uh, and your listeners probably know this uh, painfully as well, in business, people put together PowerPoint presentations and rely on facts, data, and uh, text-drenched visuals to, uh, and they feel that that's the way they, they get their, their overall story across. And uh, we all look around the room and see the people who've fallen asleep or gone onto their, uh, their uh, laptops or phones. All right, but Joel, let me push back on that one just a tiny bit because I see executives who are very data-driven people. 
their mm-hmm. comfort is in the facts and the details. That's how you're persuading them. Right. So is it that we're just doing too much of that, or is it not nearly as persuasive as we think it is? Uh, I think it's, it, it's both. It, it, people are relying on that too much, uh, and um, I think that they just don't realize the power that stories have uh, to connect with people. Um, the, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of increasing, actually, research and science that shows that, uh, as an example, um, when people are delivering information and facts, there are, there are basically two parts of the brain that light up. When people tell stories, as many as seven areas of the brain light up. And if you just think about it, there's a much better chance that it's therefore going to have an immediate connection and be something that people are going to carry with them. Wow, I hadn't realized that. Seven areas light up with the brain. I've always believed we were wired as human beings to remember stories. Because if you look at great cultures, what they do is perpetuate the culture through telling great stories. Seven areas of the brain. That's fascinating. All right, so is there a way to tell a story? I mean, do you have a formula for how to tell a story? How do you know when it's a good one or a not good one? Sure. Well, th- I mean, there are different models for telling stories. And, I, and uh, you know, thinking about this, I wanted to, you know, give give something, at least one uh, format or model that pe- people could, could rely on. Uh, first, first of all, I think it's worthwhile just defining what a good story is because most of us think it's a plot or a narrative. And um, one of the best definitions of story that I've come across is from a fellow named Kendall Haven. He'd been an oceanographer, and what I find really intriguing is he's the only West Point graduate to ever become a master storyteller. And he says a story is a character-based narrative account of a character's struggles to overcome obstacles and reach a defined and important goal presented in sufficient detail to make the story real, vivid, and memorable. But we're going to sort of parse that out a bit. Um, first of all, story really has to be constructed around a theme or, as just we were saying before, a message that's going to resonate with your audience. It has a structure that's built around a narrative or a journey. So there's a protagonist or a hero, a central figure that the audience can care about. And sometimes telling stories in a business setting you want to make that protagonist or hero. Sometimes it may be yourself, but more often it may be the audience themselves. Uh, there's a desire or a goal that um, the key character is, is questing after. Then there's a difficult obstacle or a series of obstacles that may include an ata- antagonist, for example, the antihero. Um, And then there's a struggle to overcome those obstacles that includes risk and danger. Uh, The bigger the struggle, the more we care. There's a climax to all of that, and then there's a resolution, which usually is a release of the tension and a picture of the new world or a return to to normalcy. So that's a lot to to chew on. So if you want to grab any pieces of that, uh, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's great. I want them now I need is a an example. 
Let me just repeat that to make sure I get it all straight. So I love the definition of character-based narrative with a struggle and someone's overcoming obstacles to reach a goal and enough detail. It doesn't mean it's infinite detail, enough detail. So we have a central person, somebody I can identify with as a listener. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I often, when I am teaching, I will often identify somebody in the audience to become the protagonist of the example that I'm giving. So there we go as an example. Uh Uh, There is a goal. There's a place that we're trying to get to, presumably Mm -hmm. that we all would believe is worthy. There are some obstacles, some things that are in our way for getting there. And there's the struggles we're going to have to go through, the risks or the dangers. The deeper the struggles, the more we get engaged. And then there is some sort of resolution at the end. I almost get the sense that strategy could be told as a story. Well, there you go. Yep, absolutely. Uh, It's interesting that... in almost any communication can, in effect, if you were really to step back from everything I've said, one way of constructing a, almost any business communication, and it doesn't work in every case, but it works in many cases, is around what we call a situation, the complication, the resolution, which, if you think about it, at its essence is really what I described in what makes a good story. So the situation may be the goal we share in common. So if you set out a goal or a vision and people can go, yes, yes, and then you say, what's getting in the way of that? And then, as a result, what is it we need to do in order to achieve that goal? That very simple situation, complication, resolution, in support of of a clear message can be a very simple, straightforward way to organize many business communications. Like that situation, complication, resolution. Um, it reminds me of Jay Conger's research, um, his original PhD research, I think it is, where he went through some of the great speeches of history that had been transformative for social movements and identified the common structure among those great speeches. And he didn't use exactly these words, but it sure is very similar. I mean, he talks about painting the current reality that we're in, painting a vision of where we want to go. So that is the situation and the complication. And then the resolution was really around, what do I want each of you to do in this audience right now? So it's not wait for me to give an answer to you in six years. It is tomorrow when you go home, do this. Yes. Situation, Very. complication, resolution. Um, can, quickly, we only have a couple minutes before we take a break again, but can you give us an example of a fabulous story that follows this that you have heard or seen someone work on? It's interesting. Uh, this morning, I was listening to NPR uh, as I was shaving, and uh, there was a story, and not that the, the char- there was a, a compelling character, not that I could relate to him initially, but this is a fellow who's called Wall Street, and he's in San Quentin prison. And this was a story of a fellow who uh, was homeless, lived on the streets uh, and in Oakland, California, and became uh, a criminal, basically, uh, at a very early age. And he was sent to prison for um, robbing a, a mail truck. And he was in prison, and he was curious, and he would have people, he, he could not read or write. And so he had a, a colleague, a uh, fellow prisoner, read him from the newspaper, and he thought he was listening to the sports section. 
turned out he was listening to the financial section. And he got so excited about, because he had never even heard the word stocks before. He got so excited, he began to do all of his reading and research, and he is now within San Quentin. He's known as Wall Street, and he is a counselor to both prisoners and their families uh, as to how they can invest their money. Uh, and he's become the CEO of a company which I believe is called something like Freeman Financial. So there was a character who was compelling, certainly came to care about him as I heard the story. There was a huge obstacle, which is he was in prison. He had a massive struggle because he could not read or write and had to learn that. And there was a, there's been a clear resolution coming out the other end. That's fabulous. I, lo- I love this. Plus, we have the emotion of the excitement for him, the rehabilitation sense, the give to others. I mean, that's, so there's plenty of stuff in there that we can re- resonate with. All right, Joel. We're going to take a break again. Um, just to sort of summarize as I come through this one, I think the three most important things from this conversation are stories are incredibly powerful. They light up more of our brain than just info and facts. That's not to discredit info and facts, but the power of stories is really strong. To do a great story, you need a central character. We need to describe the situation that people are in, say the goal that we have in common. We need to talk about the complications or the obstacles or the barriers that what's in our way to achieve that goal that we all share in common. And then we need a resolution. What are we all going to do about it? So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to round out with some hints from Joel about how to make your message more compelling in the delivery. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace 
at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace, and with me today is Joel Wald from McAlinden Associates, and we've been talking about what makes for great communication. Um, There have been so many messages, it's hard to summarize them all, but I'll just hit the highlights from this last one, which is tell a good story, more than just facts and text-drenched visuals. I love that phrasing. To tell a good story, you want to describe the situation. What's the goal we share in common, for example? The complication, what's in our way of achieving it, and the resolution, what do we need to do now um, to move forward or to make the next step? All right, so Joel, I want to turn in this last part to get your top hints as a communications coach on what people should do and not do to deliver more compelling messages. Mm. So from a, really from a uh, physical delivery perspective from anything anything we haven't discussed throw in i just want your okay. top tips that you sell tell to people great well looking at it uh and we certainly uh, depending on our time decide where to go with it uh i think it, it, it focusing on some of the delivery uh a compelling first step is to recognize that when people are receiving a message they love contrast and that's contrast in the content, for example, from the goal to the complication. Uh, and it's also uh, around things like your, the way you use your voice. You know, are you really signaling to people, this is important, or this is the good news, this is the obstacle we're facing. And do people hear it and feel it in your voice? So contrast is such an important thing. One of the uh, so often overlooked tools that people have in, the, in their toolkit is to pause. It is something that people are uncomfortable with in many situations, particularly when a lot of eyes are on you. But just think about it from both your point of view and the listeners. Listeners need time to process what you've just delivered to them and to make it their own. And it gives you time to think. Uh, Gestures paint pictures. Besides being a great way to take any nervous energy you may have and put it to work. I mean, we're on the phone, and I'm sitting here at a table in a room, closed door by myself, and I'm sitting up in my chair, and I'm gesturing because I know that that helps my voice. Um, If you are face-to-face with people, uh, eye contact is key, and everybody knows one level or another that eye contact's important, but people always ask, so how long do I hold it, or how do I actually make it? I had a client who who said to me recently, you know, I don't want to be creepy, Uh, so let me give you a concrete, give your listeners a concrete tip. Uh, Hold your eyes on someone until you complete a phrase, a natural length of time until you punctuate, then move to the next person. So you're in effect, you're in these little one-to-one conversations with people if you're in a group. Uh, and then I would say that just turning to one other aspect of it, use really visual language. I mean, for example, you, you like the phrase uh, text-drenched visual. I mean, that, that, that's a, a picture. And I, I think that's, that kind of language can make such a difference, even around something which is more straightforward and factual. 
Well, five fabulous tips. Um, I love this contrast. I think you're right. Um, I won't give all the background on it, but uh, I do know that contrast is actually critical for everything about how our brain works from visual perception Mm -hmm. all the way down. And so I love that phrasing about to think about the ways in which you contrast things, this versus that. Or particularly with your voice, that I can emphasize the excitement about this in comparison to the frustration with this or the impact of the power. Okay, gestures, paint pictures. Now, I often see people who have been told that they shouldn't use your hands. So I have a twofold question for you. One is, can you overuse your hands? And two, what do you do with your hands when you're not gesturing? Right. So, yes, work all the time with people who overuse their gestures or overdo it. And what we find, which is really interesting, is um, it's often related to their eye contact in the sense that their eyes are usually whipping around the room and their gestures are these sort of repetitive rolling gestures that, that are not connected in any way. Soon as they begin to have what I was calling one-to-one conversations with people, so much comes into focus, including their gestures. So they may have fewer, but more meaningful gestures. Uh, and then your second question was, oh, what do you, you know, do so when you're not gesturing? Yeah, I'm yeah, standing in front of an audience. What do I do with my hands? Yeah. Um, so I, I can paint the ideal picture and then give options. I, the ideal picture is if you are comfortable just having your hands by your side, your arms relaxed, your fingers relaxed, not tensed fists, that tends to be the most open and neutral. At the same time, many people are comfortable with that. So, you know, bringing your hands together into something which is uh, almost like a a little birdcage is fine, but what you really want to avoid is bringing them so close together that you start to wash your hands, play with your watch, play with the the remote uh, that's in your hand. Okay, so it's a relaxed, just get comfortable with the fact that your arms and your fingers are relaxed by your side or that your hands are comfortably resting in front of you, but you're not fidgeting with rings, with your fingers, with your watch, with the pen, with the whatever you have in your hands, and certainly not the hand wringing like the hand washing that you described. Yeah. Fabulous. Any last thing you want to add to this? And I love this notion of the one-to-one conversation. Yeah, it's... uh... It's so important, and it, it takes work, even when you're practicing it with a small group, and uh, certainly it's more of a challenge in a larger group, uh, uh, but, the, but the principle's the same. And frankly, with so many of these things, whether it's storytelling, your eye contact, the way you use your voice, you can practice those things um, in a low-risk setting. People don't have to know that at the next dinner party you're at, you're consciously trying out your storytelling skills or trying your eye contact, but they will probably feel the difference. Fabulous. Joel, that is great. I think there are, co- there are so many things that I take away from this conversation, but um, in particular, I'm going to be stuck with a couple of phrases from you. One is, if you cannot articulate your message in a single, incisive, natural-sounding sentence, then it's a sign that you really have a bad message. And then the second thing that I'm going to take away is the notion of using the story, the um, uh, complication, the situation, and the resolution. Mm -hmm. So, Joel, thank you for being with us today. Great. My pleasure, Wanda. 
All right, next week we're going to continue the theme on communication and Davia Temen will be joining us. We're going to be talking about how to communicate with a sense of authority as well as how to deal with crisis communications along the way. So please join us. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.